Good morning. Scott Luton here with you on this edition of This Week in Business History. Welcome to today's show. On this program, which is part of the Supply Chain Now family of programming, we take a look back at the upcoming week, and then we share some of the most relevant events and milestones from years past. Of course, mostly business-focused, with a little dab of global supply chain, and occasionally, we might just throw in a good story outside of our primary realm. So I invite you to join me on this look back in history to identify some of the most significant leaders, companies, innovations, and perhaps lessons learned in our collective business journey. Now, let's dive in to this week in business history. Over the last few years, we've seen ports close for a lot of different reasons. There have been labor strikes, COVID, of course, and the Ever Given got itself stuck sideways in the Suez Canal. Every time a port is closed, it disrupts the flow of materials for a whole region and creates hardships for vast areas and communities that count on that port to supply them with all kinds of things. But can a closed port be a world history-changing rallying point? It was in 1774. In fact, closing the Port of Boston led to a turn in public opinion that brought together the residents of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, separatists and loyalists alike, as well as the other 12 colonies. It was a catalyst leading up to the American Revolution. I'm Kelly Barner, the host of Dial P for Procurement here on Supply Chain Now. And I love history. Which of today's challenges are really new and which continue to reemerge over time? And as business became more and more integrated with other facets of our lives, how did business concerns change human history and vice versa? If you enjoy the unique blend of storytelling and business history that Scott Luton and I share on this week in business history, please take a minute to subscribe to the podcast and share a review. That will help others find us. And now, back to this week's business history story. On June 1st, 1774, the Boston Port Act took effect. Actually, it was technically called the, quote, Act to discontinue, in such manner, and for such time, as are therein mentioned, the landing and discharging, shipping of goods, wares, and merchandise at the town and within the harbor of Boston in the province of Massachusetts Bay in North America, end quote. So like I said, we'll call it the Boston Port Act. The act was passed by the British Parliament in March of 1774, but it wasn't strictly to punish the residents of Boston. The port was closed to create leverage and ultimately forced the colonies to reimburse business losses resulting from one of the most famous nights in American history. I'm sure you've heard of the Boston Tea Party. On December 16, 1773, a bunch of colonists dressed like Native Americans snuck out into the harbor and dumped 342 chests of tea into the water. 
But although they did it in retaliation for unfair taxation, those chests and the tea inside them were not the property of the British government. The chests and the tea belonged to the British East India Company. Much like companies today find themselves embroiled in geopolitics, especially over the war in Ukraine, the British East India Company played both sides of the line between corporation and political entity. Founded in 1600, their markets and sphere of influence grew throughout the British Empire, and more than once they found themselves wrapped up in some pretty messy business. They were involved in British political issues in Europe, Africa, China, and India before ending up on the receiving end of Bostonian anger. In the 1770s, people in the American colonies drank 1.2 million pounds of tea every year. As part of the no taxation without representation cry brought on by the Stamp and Townsend Acts, the colonists declared a boycott of British tea and even smuggled in Dutch tea to replace British imports. These developments were bad for the British East India Company's bottom line. They were required to sell their tea at auction in London. They had to pay a tax per pound of tea sold, which added to their financial burdens. So that tax, plus the boycott, put them in a very bad position. They were on the verge of bankruptcy and had a lot of surplus tea on their hands but they were no strangers to a dust-up and decided they could just sit and wait. And wait. And wait. Seriously, do not mess with a Boston grudge. So in order to stay in business, the company finally petitioned Parliament to lift the tea tax, which they did. This gave the British East India Company exclusive license to export their tea to the American colonies creating a monopoly and saving the company from financial ruin. Or so they thought. The company no longer had to pay the tax in London, but the colonists had to pay the tax when the tea arrived in the colonies. So what did the colonists do? They smuggled in alternatives. Between 1767, when the tax was first imposed, to 1773, when it was lifted, tea smuggling had become a very lucrative business. Because the tea no longer had to pass through Britain for taxation there, it actually became less expensive once the tea tax was lifted. That British middleman had been removed and it made the British tea less expensive than smuggled Dutch tea. The people in the Boston area were asked to weigh their benefits in terms of political freedom against a very direct cost to their pocketbooks. And this created a funny situation. Some colonists now had to choose between their profits from smuggling tea and gaining their freedom from oppressive British rule. Two of the top beneficiaries of the tea smuggling practice were Samuel Adams and John Hancock, and they were also two of the leading voices against the British. But. When presented with a cost-saving deal, most of us are going to take it. The smugglers slash colonists weren't sure what the rest of the people were going to do when faced with that choice. 
So they took matters into their own hands. Under cover of darkness, it took over 100 colonists three hours to empty all the tea into Boston Harbor. The modern day value of the product was about a million dollars. Ironically, although the three ships, the Beaver, the Eleanor, and the Dartmouth were operated by the British East India Company, they were all owned by American colonists. The company only owned the tea and the chests. Those ships were the 18th century equivalent of third-party logistics providers. Now, not all of the founding fathers were amused. Ben Franklin and George Washington were both upset. They didn't agree with the decision to destroy private property and even suggested that the colonies should reimburse the British East India Company for their losses. Also, according to what I've read, the tea in the harbor smelled like heck, and no one ever expects Boston Harbor to smell good, so that's really saying something. Parliament was, understandably, also not impressed with the colonists' shenanigans, and as a result, the Port Act was passed to force them to pay back the value of the lost product to the British East India Company and to reimburse the British government for lost customs. The ports of Boston and nearby Charleston were blockaded, completely closed off. The Royal Navy and British Army began patrols at the mouth of Boston Harbor to enforce the Port Act. The British Army also joined in enforcing the blockade and the city of Boston was filled with soldiers. Here's where we can play out the likely impact of Boston Harbor being closed based on our modern knowledge. If the port of Long Beach, California closes tomorrow, does only Los Angeles suffer? Oh no, and the same thing happened in 1774. The British moved all of their customs officials out of Boston and sent them up to Marblehead to work out of the port of Salem. The Port Act also gave British officials the authority to remove ships from Salem Harbor for any reason. If a ship was asked to leave and did not comply within six hours, the ship could be seized and the entire contents would be forfeited. This was becoming a very expensive conflict. The British did show some discretion in terms of allowing ships into the harbor. Ships transporting food, fuel, and of course, anything the British had ordered from Amazon, no, just kidding, but anything the British needed and had ordered was allowed into the port as long as the ship had a pass. Every single ship was searched by customs officers at Marblehead. And then if the determination was made that the ship should be allowed into Boston to unload, a customs officer would accompany the ship from Marblehead into Boston Harbor. Those customs officers were authorized to bring as many armed men with them as they felt were necessary for their safety and the safety of the ship and its cargo. Any ship that was already in Boston Harbor on June 1st was given 14 days to get out. And after June 1st, any contracts that had terms specifying that goods should be shipped in or out of Boston Harbor were made null and void in the eyes of the law. Everyone in the colony of Massachusetts 
was suddenly having trouble getting what they needed. Words spread fast through the other colonies, and the words, if this can happen in Boston, then were uttered on lips far beyond the boundaries of Massachusetts. Sympathetic colonies as far away as South Carolina rallied and sent relief supplies to Massachusetts. In fact, they were so generous, the colonial leaders still in Boston bragged that the town would become the top grain port in America if the Port Act were not repealed. But all that bravado shouldn't be taken to mean that there wasn't real suffering and worrying going on. June 1st was widely observed as a day of fasting and prayer in Boston. Church bells rang out, flags were placed at half-mast, and houses were draped in mourning or thick black cloth. The port closure had a significant impact on the economy of the entire Massachusetts Bay Colony. Merchants were not able to stock their shelves with goods, and people lost their jobs as a result. If people were skeptical of the Boston Tea Party, they were angered by the Boston Port Act. It became the first step in the unification of the 13 colonies. The British had given them a reason to work together. The Port Act remained in effect until the Revolutionary War ended in 1783, but that was just on paper. It really ended on March 17, 1776, now known in Boston as Evacuation Day, when the British left the city. The Americans immediately moved to reclaim the ports of Boston and Charlestown and secure them under the command of General Artemis Ward, who lived a third of a mile of where I live today in Shrewsbury, Massachusetts. I recently recorded an episode of Dial P for Procurement, looking at the role modern day companies are playing in the war in Ukraine. But when you think about the economic incentives, the involvement of the British East India Company and the thriving Dutch tea smuggling business, it is plain to see that what was old is new again and vice versa. On that note, it's time to wrap up this edition of This Week in Business History. Thank you so much for tuning into the show each week. Don't forget to check out the wide variety of industry thought leadership available at supplychainnow.com. As a friendly reminder, you can find This Week in Business History wherever you get your podcast from. And be sure to tell us what you think. We would love to earn your review, and we encourage you to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. On behalf of the entire team here at This Week in Business History and Supply Chain Now, this is Kelly Barner wishing you all nothing but the best. We'll see you here next time on This Week in Business History.